0: Hey guys, thanks so much for uh, connecting with us at this point uh, in our time of worship. Uh, I want to give a shout out to those of you who are at our San Jose campus. I'm so glad to be connecting with you. A special hello to our first and second time guests. I hope that God has already blessed you. Can't wait to jump into this teaching. A huge shout out to those of you who are watching vis-a-vis social media platforms across the country and across the world. Thank you for being a part of our NBCC online experience. Now, I'm... Anxious to jump back into our series. We took a break last weekend to talk to fathers and father figures. But as you know, our series is back to basics. And we're looking at those basic tenets that are essential, vital when it comes to living faithful lives as Jesus followers. And we're asking, what are they and why do they matter? But first, let me make a real quick announcement. Last weekend, I talked about how NBCC is moving into a brand new season. We're launching uh, two brand new ministries across all three campuses, in person and online. A women's ministry and a men's ministry. This past Thursday, we released a survey in our electronic newsletter. If you didn't get that survey, then it probably means that you are not subscribed. So I simply want you at the end of this uh, our gathering today, the end of this message, simply go to our website uh, and at the bottom go ahead and subscribe to our weekly newsletter. It'll take less than 15 seconds. Now, here's why we're asking you to participate in the survey, because we want you to share with us the kinds of activities and engagements that will cause your participation in a women's or men's ministry to be exciting, to be on fire. You know what I mean? Now, why are we launching these ministries? I said this last weekend, and I'll talk a little bit about this in this message, because God does God's deepest work in relationships, in relationships, and we're creating uh, the context for you to go deeper in trustworthy relationships. So, fill out those surveys. If you're at our San Jose campus, at the end of the worship gathering today, you can even fill out the surveys or engage the surveys uh, at a table that's set up right there. Okay, God bless our teaching today. Move miraculously through this teaching. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, if you've been tracking with us over this series, you know that our, uh, the pathway that we have been following has been framed by the Apostle Creed, which you can find on our website. And in the Apostle Creed, three affirmations are made that we're coming full circle around to today. Uh, the affirmation of belief in God the Father, belief in God the Son, belief in God the Holy Spirit. What do we mean? What are we talking about? I love the way you're asking your questions. Uh, that's what we're going to be exploring. What do we mean by God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in this message? Now, so let's turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. If you were with us last weekend, you know that um, this passage I'm reading is the Mark version of what we read in Matthew last weekend as we, as we were speaking to the men. So, Jesus uh, is about to commence his ministry his first act of obedience and faithfulness if you will is to submit himself for baptism to john the baptist here's what happens matthew mark and luke both capture these events Listen is what it says as jesus came up out of the water he saw the heavens splitting apart and the holy spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven said you are my dearly loved son you bring me great joy. And the Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. There's the reading. Those of you in the San Jose campus and someone is sitting around, you just turn to them and say, "Let's dance. <laughs> Those of you watching online, come on, shout it, let's dance. Go ahead and type it in the chat, let's dance. And for those of you, as you say, let's dance, you might be, if you're my generation, thinking about Donna Summers and let's dance, last dance. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Uh, I may be talking about something a little different, but that's all right. We we we, we thinking, we thinking together. All right. Uh, because that's the first thing I thought about when I thought about this song. That's what I mean. We're thinking together. All right. Uh, Let's jump into this teaching, having read the text. uh, The writer here, Mark, is doing several things. The first thing that Mark is doing is describing what theologians call the Trinity. The ultimate revelation of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the word Trinity does not um, exist, does not show up in the biblical text. It's simply a theological word that seeks to describe the extraordinary mystery as revealed as the fullness of who God is. Here's the definition. One God who exists eternally in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God existing in three distinct persons, we're not talking about tritheism, meaning three gods working closely together. Neither are we talking about unipersonalism, meaning one God in three different forms. But rather we mean God in three distinct persons existing in community. Can you say community? In community and fellowship and unity within God's self. One theologian put it this way. The Father is that which the Son is. The Son is that which the Father is. The Son and the Father is that which the Holy Spirit is. Uh, I.e., in nature, they are God, one God. One God. Three distinct persons. Now, let me just hasten to say that I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to explain what all that means because for uh, (laughs) centuries, millennia, we haven't been able to fully explain this. It is, it is beyond really human comprehension. It's a great reminder that when we talk about God, we can not fully explain everything about God. If you and I could, we would graduate to the level of being God. One theologian said, it is good to acknowledge the incomprehensible nature of God. It's a reminder that we're not God. So I want to spend a lot of time talking about trying to define, and explain to you this is uh, the power of God's Spirit ultimately helps us with that revelation. I want to spend the rest of this message really talking to you about the implications of God existing as a triune reality Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because at the end of the day, uh, the Trinity, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not a mystery to be explained, nor is it a puzzle to be solved, but rather it is a gateway into a deep and rich relationship with God, Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Each playing a unique role in that context. So, let's begin to move towards the implications. Mark is wrestling with the implications here. Uh, because the first thing that we see here in, the, in these first uh, three verses of Mark, from verse 10 to 13. We see that Mark uh, lays bare the revelation of a triune God. We'll see it again. As Jesus, there's the son, came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and here's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And then there's the voice from heaven, that's the father, who says, this is my dearly beloved son in whom he brings me great joy. Wow. Beautiful. So the first thing we see is this revelation of God in the fullness of the triune reality. The second thing that we notice that Mark is doing is that in a real powerful way, he is capturing in three verses what it took Genesis three chapters to cover. Because Mark is suggesting, this is a reminder, by the way, that when the gospel writers are sharing with us uh, the stories about Jesus and Jesus' life, they are not simply just laying out events. They are organizing those events in a very profound way to teach profound and eternal and life-transforming truths about Jesus and about uh, life and people and salvation and redemption and all of that. And here Mark is simply re- Uh, Recapturing, if you will, the first three chapters. You remember the first three chapters of Genesis, right? The first in chapter 1, it really talks about uh, the revelation of God. In the beginning is God. Then it talks about creation and all of its grandeur. And it comes to a crescendo with the creation of humanity. The creation of humanity. And then in chapter 3, we find the great temptation. Adam and Eve are tempted. We see the same thing here in Mark. As he's, as he's restructuring this, right? We find the revelation of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then we find the, 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 the notion of the recreation of humanity in the person of Jesus. You remember John wrote these words. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. And the Word, meaning Jesus, became flesh, became human and dwelled among us. Ah, human is re- humanity is recreated in Jesus. This is partly why Paul says this for those of us who are in relationship with Jesus, uh, the new beginnings that that comes from being in relationship with Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Here's what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. So when Jesus comes up out of the water, this is the inauguration of the era of, of, of of the new era, of the new humanity that he brings into reality. New relationship that we can have. And then what happens? He moves towards temptation in the wilderness. Revelation of God, recreation of humanity, temptation. Now, as we think about this, I want to back into let's just focus on the revelation of God. We see it in Matthew. How does it show up in Genesis? Because I'm, I'm, I want to really pick apart, again, not the explanation so much of the triune reality of God, but the implication for your life and the implication for my life and the implication, I want to suggest, for, you, for the universe and for creation and for how life is designed to work together. Shout the implications. So, the revelation of God begins in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God. Now, it's not obvious to the person who's reading this in English, but what the Hebrew writer has used is a plural form of a singular noun. Elohim is the plural form of the singular word for God. It's plural. Where you discover this to be true is by the time you get to verse 26. Because between verse 2 and verse 25... The text just simply says, and God says, and creation is taking place. But when God gets ready to create humanity, and here in verse 26, this is a picture of humanity in its totality. Here's what it says. Then God has to speak to God's self, right? Because what God is about to create and call it humanity is a reflection of God's self, right? It's created in his image. And so here's what it says. Then God said, let us shout, let us, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now I just want to point this out because at this point, there is no sin uh, in the perspective of the totality of humanity, the picture that is being painted and 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 when And yes, each of us individually are made in the image of God, even though that image is broken because of how sin impacts our lives, but we're still there. But the theological insight here, watch this, is that humanity as a whole, when it's living harmoniously in its diversity across ethnicity and gender and all the ways we think about diversity, connected by the harmonious experience of love, that that's when we best reflect the picture of who God is. Diversity within a beautiful unity. Diversity held together by the harmonious experience of love. Oh, y'all, they're listening to me. And that's who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Diversity within a beautiful unity. Operating harmoniously together. So when God looks at humanity... Without the, the impact of sin on our lives, when he looks at humanity in totality, God sees a reflection of Himself. Diversity. Within a remarkable, unity. You get it. All right, somebody shout implications, implications. I like how C.S. Lewis talks about this. He he describes this relationship of the father son and the holy spirit as an emerging drama and then, and then, and then, and, then, and then cornelius plantinger adds to that a different a, a, a unique perspective here's what mr cs lewis says here's what he says in christianity god is not an impersonal thing or a static thing he's not even just one person But dynamic pulsating activity, a life, a drama almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of day. Mr. Cornelius writes these words. You see, the Bible says that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit glorifies one another. Think, keep that image of the dance in front, right? As we, I think you see it maybe over here on the screen. This, the, 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 the notion that the Father uh, shines light. We see that in the text, right? The Father says about the Son, this is my beloved Son. Uh, he is the center of my delight. And He shines light. And, 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 and Jesus will say repeatedly, uh, I do the work that I do to bring glory to the Father. And then ultimately the Holy Spirit, uh, we will find him at work in John. And and the point of the Holy Spirit is to shine light on Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit is shining light on Jesus, bringing the presence and the power of Jesus and the Father to live among us. And the Father shines the light on Jesus. And Jesus glorifies the Father. And the Father and the Son is found within glorifying the Spirit. What a remarkable Dance, shout dance, dance. Here's what Mr. Cornelius goes on to say. Uh, 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 uh. This means the persons within God, listen, in the midst of the dance, exalt, commune with and defer to one another. The Father, the first to the Son, the Son, the first to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the first to the Son, the Son refers to the Father, they defer, they defer to one another, each harbors the other at the center of his being. in constant movement of overture and acceptance, each one of them envelops and encircles the other. God's interior life, therefore overflows with self-giving love for. Others. Father overflows the self-giving love for the Son. The Son overflows the self-giving love for the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overflows the self-giving love for the Father and the Son, you see. And the Father overflows for the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there is this remarkable unity, this deep community, this extraordinary fellowship in the midst of one. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. What does it all matter? What does it matter to you? What does it matter to me? What does this notion of a triune God matters to the single mom? What does it matter to the unemployed dad? Come on, what does it matter? What does it matter to the young adult going to college? What, 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 as we're trying to figure out what I should be dreaming about and what career should I be following, what does this triune reality of God, what does it matter? Well, does not all matter? Here's what he says. It matters more than anything else in the world. The whole dance, our drama, our pattern of this three-personal life that we find in God is to be played out in each of us. It's to be played out in your life. Come on now, the teenager that's watching me and trying to figure out who God is calling you to be. It's to be played out in your life. He's inviting you into the dance. Or putting it another way, each one of us has got to enter that pattern. We've got to take our place in that dance. That is, there is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. He invites us, God invites us to join him in that remarkable community. all right let me highlight three specific implications about life and creation that the triune reality of god dictates the first is because god lives as father son and holy spirit in deep communication in deep community it means that love precedes creation you see in order for love to be authentic love there has to be more than one person there has to be another there has to be other otherwise love is just focused on self there has to be an other and the bible tells us repeatedly that god is love and if there's just you know no other than then then as we think of just one then love would only exist once creation came into existence but that is not true God lives in community with God's love. Love is at the heart of who God is. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, what is the implications for your life about this reality? Well, here's the implication. It means that love in your life and my life and love in the world is not an accident. Come on now, it's not an evolutionary accident. It means that love in your life and my life is not simply a byproduct of the chemicals pumping in our brains. That is the result of adaptation, 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 and natural selection without any God involvement. No. No. That that love is deeper than our biology and greater than our psychology. That love existed before there were chemicals to pop, y'all. Love exists in the triune reality of God as Father and Son and Holy Spirit dance with with one another in the authenticity of love at its best. How? Love is real, not just chemical. Well, the second implication about the triune reality of God is that it's, it reminds us that God creates to give. Somebody asked the question, what was God doing before God made creation? The earth and the galaxies and the planets. I think it was Dallas Willard who answered, God was enjoying themselves. Themselves, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this harmonious, eternal relationship of love full of joy how do i describe this i mean perhaps it is the grandfather or the parent who's spending time with that baby you know the baby has been cleaned up the baby is smelling really good the baby is in a really good mood come on and the baby is lying on their back or just uh, or crawling around and, and 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 that baby has the parent or the grandparent undivided attention and 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 the grandparent has that baby undivided attention and they're giggling and they're playing and they're tickling and it's just a uh, just joy being together that is the experience of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that is a small sampling of that experience of joy that exists within the center of the Father Son and Holy Spirit wow and so God does not create because God is lonely God is not lonely Father (laughs) he lives in community God does not create because God needs an object to love God is not he lives in community God creates to give. It is as though God says to God's self, this joy and this love is so rich and so powerful so amazing that we've got to be, we've got to find a way to give it away. Out of that comes creation spinning and humanity being born. Wow. And it's in that context that he invites us comes the word, let's dance. Let's dance. And then final implication about life and creation is the distinction between the dance of the three and the focus of the one. This notion is that God, I love what Cornelius said, that the love that overflows in God is is other-centered. That the Father is focused on the Son. Did you hear him? This is my beloved Son. The Son is focused on the Father. At the, at the end of his life, he says, I have done all that the Father has asked me to do to bring glory to him. The Holy Spirit is focused on, the, on Jesus and, 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 and the Father. This Jesus says that, the, that he or she who loves me uh, will keep my word and me and the father will come and live with them how through the power and the presence of the holy spirit in your life come on now uh, and that and, and they defer to the other Whew, that wonderful dance but that's not how we naturally act in our brokenness is it that at the end of the day most of us are the center, and we want the world to revolve around us. That even when we do nice things, we do nice things because at the end of the day, we get something out of it. We get reputation out of it. Not all of us. I'm just saying we're all along the journey. I'm including myself in this, right? right we get some reputation out of this. Or we like the way it makes us feel to bless the poor, right? To, be a, 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 to, to, to help that person who is in need. We're self-centered. And part of the triumph God's reality in our lives is to pull us out of the self-centeredness and to pull us into the dance. Pull us into the dance. I was talking to a young man not too long ago. This a young man I'm mentoring. And I've been mentoring for a while. And we have a real honest relationship with each other. And I asked him, I said, hey, how come you haven't gotten married? He's got all these, He's dating this person, this person, this person, this person. I so said, how come you're not married? He said, I'm just not mature enough to get married. I said, what? I said, what do you mean? He said, um, I'm too self-centered. Really? He said, oh, yeah. He says, um, I I don't want anybody to tell me when I can go to come. I don't want to be accountable to this person. I don't want to have to be sacrificing for this person. You know, I just want to, you know. In short, he just says, I just want life to be really all about me. And he went on to say, I realize this is immature. This was uh, this was so profound for me. He said, I Realize this is immature. I know it's about being self-centered, but this is who I am. And as a result of that, I'm not trying to get married. I said, dude, God bless you. I said, you're gonna save somebody a lot of pain, a lot of trouble, a lot of heartache, a lot of break. Thank God for self-awareness. Hallelujah. Uh, but also thank God that you realize that this is a reflection of immaturity. Because the God that we, that we come to know through Jesus calls us into, a, into a, a, a maturity that teaches us to be other people-centered. At the end of the day, if, at, the, at the center of who God is, is this, this unrelenting, all unconditional, loving relationship. It is to suggest that, that it, is, it, is, it is what the universe is all about. It is to suggest it is what creation is all about. I mean, you can kind of see this dance happening in creation. Can you not? Where it's kind of other centered, right? The the, 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 the the snow falls on the mountain, runs down the mountain, becomes rivers and streams and goes in the oceans and goes in the rivers and, 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 and they fill up the water table beneath the ground and, and, and that gives way to grass and trees and the grass and trees begin to grow as they respond to the sun that's shining on them, pulls them forth with life. Come on now. And then the grass and the trees while they're growing, they're pulling the carbon dioxide out of the air. They're putting oxygen into the air. Can you see this notion of a a secular dance within life that that life is designed to be other-centered? Other-centered. Not just focused on yourself relationship between the trees and the atmosphere and all of that God designed it that way to remind us it can't just be about me Whew. because you see God is the father is about the son and the son is about the spirit and the spirit is about the father and the son and the son is about the father you see what a dance is the ultimate goal of life, because of who God is. The ultimate goal of life is relationships. This may be a big revelation. College students, check this out. It's relationships. It's okay to make money, but just remember, the ultimate goal of life is going to be found in relationships. The richness of life is going to be found in relationships. It's okay to accumulate power, but the richness of life is going to be found in relationships. Relationships. It's okay to have great reputation, but the richness of life, the joy of life is going to be found in relationship. And I'm going to say to the high schoolers and the college students watching me at San Jose, don't make the mistake that we, your parents and grandparents have made. And that is don't sacrifice the most precious relationships in your life on the altar of power and reputation and the pursuit of money. Because the whole universe is moving towards God, whose ultimate relationships To begin with God and ends with God. Wow. Notice how Matthew 16, 25. This is what Jesus says. If you try to hang on to your life. This is what I had to get the young man that I was mentoring to see. If you try to hang on to your life. If you just try to live a life where it's all about you. You're going to lose it. But if you give up your life. In fact, if you learn how to enter the dance. Come on now. That it's, 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 it's you and others, and God, and God, and others, and you, and you, and God, and others, and back and forth, and back and forth, and your love experience, watch this, is triune. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It's God, and you, and others, and others, and you, and God, and God, and others, and you. in the dance. You give up your life for my sake, Jesus, the inner, the glory, the dance. You'll save it. You'll discover it. You'll find it. You'll experience it deeper, more lasting than you can ever, 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 ever imagine. Wow. So, There's a divine invitation that that all of life is structured to to echo the voice of God through the person of Jesus says, let's dance, (laughs) let's dance, let's dance. And, And the whole purpose of Jesus showing up from the very beginning of eternity, showing up is to make it possible, come on now, for the one that God has created, all of us, so that we can enter. He comes to make it possible for you and me to enter the dance. When Jesus says, I'm the door, I'm the way, I'm the truth, he's just simply saying, come on now, I've come to make it possible for you to enter the dance that me and my Father and the Holy Spirit is in to become a part of this deeper community and this deeper community to become a part of your deeply lived life. Wow. Notice verse 22, the night before Jesus got ready, to be crucified. He says these words, and I want you to think about these words really from the perspective of Jesus on the other side of resurrection. Notice this. I have given them, meaning his disciples, those who would follow him. Hopefully that includes us. The glory you gave me. Wow. I've adored them. I've blessed them. I've loved them. And this is most Fully made plain as he pours out his life on the cross. Oh my gosh, I've given them the glory that you've given me. I've deferred to them, I've sacrificed for them. So they may be one. Meaning us within the church. that they may be one. As we are one uniqueness of diversity within unity. This is what we talk about here at NBC. See this remarkable notion of us being Jesus-centered first. Remarkable diversity within unity. Within unity. There may be one as we are one. Wow. How do I bring this to an end? It is. Let's return to Mark. Remember, he's recapturing Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So humanity has emerged. Jesus has got to make it possible for us to join him in the dance. So the text says that the spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he would be tempted by Satan for 40 days. Here we are. And there he was among the wild animals. And ultimately angels took care of him. You know, Paul talks about Jesus as the second Adam. It's a remarkable comparison here as we try to dig down into the depths of what we're really talking about here. Uh, Number one, let me just say that, you see, the first Adam was in the garden. God said, don't eat, don't touch the tree or you will die. Jesus is in the wilderness. The wilderness experience ultimately becomes the garden of Gethsemane after the end of three and a half years and the invitation from the father it's not just about touching the tree. It's about dying on the tree so others might live. Mm. Wow. Ooh, and in both places, in the Garden of Gethsemane and in the Garden of Eden and in the wilderness, the Satan, Satan tempted, just like he tempts us, to give up in believing that there's something powerful in a other person and in a love that is centered on others and God and then us. And God, and others, and in us. Here's a remarkable thing. Adam and Eve, are in the garden, and Satan asked a question. What did God say? Well, God says, "Don't eat. Don't touch the tree." Why? We don't know. We know He gave us the consequences. He said, "If we eat or touch the tree, we will introduce death into our life." But why? We don't know. And here's a fascinating thing. I think it was Tim Keller who brought this point out. It's a powerful point. Here's here's his unique point. It's simply this. Why didn't God tell Adam and Eve the why? Because perhaps God simply wanted them, given that he had blessed them, had put them in a remarkable garden, he had been taking care of them, he had shown them with his love. Perhaps God just simply wanted them to obey and trust him just because. Friends, God simply wanted them to, 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 to do what God asked them to do just because they love him. Not because of what they can get out of it, you see. Because if they knew why, then they would do what they were doing so that they could get the why out of it. But God just simply said, have you yet reached the point, have you not yet reached the point that you can just be obedient just because you love me? Jesus does that. He's, he's obedient to the point of death just because he loves the Father, just because he loves you. He's going to get nothing out of it from you, right, and from me. It's all that it is. he moves towards us in crucifixion. And through death and resurrection, he extends an invitation. And then as we, come on now, by faith and repentance, say yes to Jesus, we move towards him and the dance begins. When the Father looks at us through our relationship with Jesus, he says, you are my delight. Wow. Quick, three quick implications. I'll just give them to you. From my life and your life, the triune reality of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because this is who God is. Number one, to know God at best is to live in sacred community in the triune reality of a love that moves from you to others to God from God to others to you and the unique place of finding that is ultimately in the church so for those of you who are at San Jose campus and others who attend the River City let me just offer a challenge to you I know you like the donuts and the coffee is great you like popping in and popping out enjoying the worship hearing good message from time to time but can I just challenge you join the community don't just stand on the outside. I'm going to challenge you. Join the community and learn to, 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 to be a part of the dance. We're imperfect people. We don't all dance the right way. Come on. We, we, we're not all good dancers, but we're doing the best we can. Be a part of the dance. The second implication is that my life is best defined by praise and thanksgiving that as we enter the dance it means that we begin to adore and to praise and worship God not because he's an egomaniac and somehow he needs it no it is because it's, it is because uh, as we praise and adore God we recognize the goodness of God in our lives in other words not because he needs it but because we need it in the process, we retrain our brain and reshape our heart to recognize the goodness that around us so that even on a bad day, we find a reason to say, thank you, Jesus, and mean it. And it helps to transform complaining people into blessing people. And thirdly, obeying God without regard to the cost is the secret to the power of the dance. Notice that the text says that Jesus went out in the wilderness among wild animals, wild beasts. This was Mark. Why? What's the point of talking about wild beasts? Seems like it has nothing to do with it. When Mark was writing to a Christian community that was in the, at that very moment being persecuted and they were being thrown to the wild beasts, And what he was suggesting and teaching about Jesus is that we have to love Jesus, that even when we're thrown to the wild beast, come on now, even when life is not working out, even when things are not going our way, that we are still willing to trust God that at the end of the day, he'll have the last word and it will be a word of victory, either on this side of life or the other side of life. He honors his word as he invites us to the dance. You know, the other day I got a text from a dear friend of mine. He's in intensive care, and his sister wrote me and said, he's tired. He's been battling a sickness for a long time. She says he's tired, but he's still, she says, full of uh, life. But he's tired. I wrote her back and said, you're right, he's tired. I said, but he's full of life. You know why? Because he knows who holds the future. And he said yes to the invitation of the Father (laughs) to join the dance. Listen to what Jesus writes and says in John 17, 24. This is why we can't even be concerned, super concerned, overly concerned about even death itself. Because death, come on now, for those who have entrusted our lives to Jesus, is simply uh, a a servant of eternity comes to take us to the dance. Notice what Jesus says. He says, Father... I want these whom you have given to me, that includes all of us who put our trust in him, to be with me where I am. Hear Jesus saying this from the other side of eternity as he's already been restored in the glory of God and the Father and and, and the Spirit. He says, I want them to be with me where I am. Then they can see. You can substitute the word see with what he really means. Then they can experience. Experience all of the glory that you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. And on the other side, I'm, I'm, I'm inviting them into a dance where they can know the love and know the joy that you and I and the Holy Spirit have known for eternity. And here comes the grand invitation beginning today to high schoolers and college students and single and married and religious and non-religious folk. It comes simply in two words, God declares, let's dance. Come into relationship. Let's dance. Surrender. Let's dance. Trust me with you all. Let's dance. Amen.